Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you tonight, and we recognize that you're the king of kings. You're our savior. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the only one that can save us from our sins, save us from death, save us from hell. God, you're the, the way, the truth, and the light. And God, help us to see who you really are tonight. No matter how we feel tonight, no matter what kind of burdens we're carrying, God, you came to take that all from us. You came to us. You met us where we were at and where we are at tonight. You want to be here with us as we sang. God, you're here in this room. Would your Holy Spirit dwell and meet every single one person of us here? Show us what 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 the big picture is. Show us that you're worthy, that you're worth it all, that that we could fully submit everything that we care about to you. God, help us to just worship you tonight with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, our strength. It's easy to be distracted, but God, and you're beautiful, and we pray that we could see that. Help us to be still. Get our attention. There's a million things coming at us right now, God, but help us to see the one big thing that that matters the most. God, wake us up tonight. Let us know that you're coming back. You're coming back soon. In praise your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you could please turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 to 21. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 11 to 21. God's word reads... But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called about, which made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of, and of Christ Jesus, who was in testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from approach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is displayed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or, or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the, in, the irreverent babble and contradiction of what is falsely no, called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for how you captivate us, how you get our focus, how you grab our attention. And we thank you for the songs that we've sung and the brothers and sisters that are in our vicinity here even now. And all of our hearts, our minds, our intellect, our emotions, our affections, gaining momentum heavenward. We ask that you keep us. And we pray that as we close out this book, we would not stop or conclude practicing the things that we've learned in it. And Father, even as the year draws to a close, uh, we ask that you would only renew our hearts to come after you. And Lord, right now, in the midst of everything that is happening in life, in this very moment, we just pray that you'd help us to be present and to pursue you now together with everything we got. We love you. Thank you so much for the grace that we have in the word of God and the fellowship and the coming of our Lord, our King Jesus, that we all know is coming soon. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. When we begin with that, I'm glad that the juices are flowing. Um, I'm going to try to do my utmost and work our way through this and not rush because there is a lot. But um, let's pray one more time. Father, as we get in now and, and focus, I ask that you would keep our attention, Holy Spirit. You're always speaking. It's just whether or not we're listening. You're always present. It's just whether or not we're pursuing you and aware of you. And I thank you so much for the song sung and the, even the prayer that was prayed earlier that we need to come after you tonight. So let that happen for everyone in the house, everyone online, people, even, perhaps even a soul that's listening to this at a later time in life. In these moments, let everything within us come after you. Love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Thank you so much for the grace given us in 1 Timothy, in the Bible. And so lead us now, Jesus. Shape us, mold us. Renew in us a genuine hunger for God. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Flee worldliness and pursue holiness. That's what I titled this. Flee and pursue. We see both of those words in the text at the outset. Fleeing, running, and then pursuing, chasing. They're two sides of the same coin when you think about it. Just a pursuit of anything. When I first pursued my wife, Samantha, my pursuit of her was simultaneously uh, fleeing from all others. Right? It's, I want you as my wife, I love you, and it's also saying nobody else exists. There's no other woman that I want. Flee and pursue. By pursuing, I'm fleeing. When I was pursuing a career in soccer, my coaches needed to counsel me to flee all other sports. Stop skateboarding. You're breaking your ankles. You know, Stop doing this too much. It's taking away time from this, if you really want to make it and have a living in this 
sport, you have to say no to others. Flee and pursue. By pursuing one thing, you are simultaneously fleeing another. If I said keep one eye on me, keep one eye on me and then put another eye on a neighbor, just do your best, yeah, you'll look funny. And you're like, right? Or you won't be able to see. The, the, the vision gets blurry. It's crazy. Even with our bodies, God gave us two eyes. But he created us in such a way where if you're going to see something and really see it and experience it, you have to pursue it. You have to focus on it. You can't be split. You can't look here and look there and, and be divided. It's not going to work. So it is with our spiritual eyes, church. You see, the church in Ephesus, right now, their pursuit, their perception of God, their vision is all over the place. They had really bad teachers teaching really bad things, right? We don't need to review it all, but to summarize it, they, they taught that religion is a way to get rich. And it's a way about getting stuff, right? They taught all sorts of things, asceticism, Gnosticism. Right? That's, that's what Paul is dealing with right now with Timothy and Ephesus. And so the result of that is their, their pursuit of God is messed up. They have worldliness and godliness all hamajang and mingled. And so Paul, right in chapter 3, he says, this is why I'm writing you, Timothy. Because I want you to know as a church how to function as the church, a.k.a. How to truly pursue God and actually like it. Have fun enjoying God as a family. Because right now, Ephesus, it's not like that. And if it was a problem for Ephesus, I would say it could still also be a problem for Newton Baptist. Instead of getting swept up in all these different destructive, depraved doctrines, remember that last time? Pursue God. And this pursuit, and we're going to see, Paul's going to describe it, it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a solemn responsibility to practice and wage war and worship. See, in this present pursuit, until that final day, until all of us Breathe our last, because that's going to happen. We had a number of deaths in our church recently, right? And when that moment comes for all of us, whether it's dying or him coming to appear, either one's going to be awesome. The question will be, is are you pursuing him until that final day? If you're a Christian and you find your identity now in Christ, you find your identity in the future, not the present, not the past. Therefore, now, all of life is a hardcore pursuit. And at the same time, when you're doing that, it's also a hardcore fleeing. They go hand in hand. So Paul begins in verse 11. But, that's a big word. Three letters, but it's a big word because that means in contrast, right? In contrast, but as for you, Timothy, unlike the false teachers, you see where he's comparing him? But as for you, O man of God, not those pretend men of God 
who used the name of God, but they taught junk stuff. But as for you, in opposition to them, Timothy, here's what you do. You flee. You flee, escape, disappear. You, you rapidly run. I like this word, abhorrently avoid. Like when you see the big cockroach, some of you scream and run with like, ah! You know, that's this word of like, ah! That's the, that's the knee-jerk reaction to what, are, what, what is he talking about? These things, right? Bringing it into context, we did this in observation. It's, it's all the stuff that he was warning him about before. That false teaching that for some people think, oh, if you go to church, it's about getting rich. It's about getting stuff. It's about getting hooked up in this life with all the toys and joys. That's really what this is about. And God is a means to that. That's the, the summary of what these teachers were teaching. And he's saying, you're supposed to flee that. Like, run. Flee these things. Flee worldliness. And then he says, pursue, and I'm going to read it all out. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Here's the point. Flee worldliness and pursue holiness. It's the, the point is our title. Hebrews 12, it says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run. Notice how the Hebrew writer writes it too. Paul says flee. The Hebrew writer says run. This is, it's not painting a casual excusing yourself. It's to get out of there. If it's worldly, get out of there. Remember the story in Genesis 39, Joseph, who in God's providence, he went from being a, an in, prison, in prison to now leading in the, a guard in the prison cell and then also working in, in Potiphar's house. Remember that? You remember the part in Genesis 39? Why don't we flip there? We don't flip too much. But go to Genesis 39 just to kind of paint the picture a little bit more graphic of fleeing and pursuing. Genesis 39, I'll start at verse 11. On one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment. You see that? Saying, lie with me. So Potiphar's wife was attracted to Joseph. And she grabbed him. And she says, come on. Let's, 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 you know, do this. But what does Joseph do? Please, no, 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 it's okay. No, he says, look what he does. He left his garment in her hand and he fled. The brother booked it. He, and he got out of the house. I'm not going to read the story. I just wanted you to see that he ran. You see, there's a fleeing that is necessary. Just get out of there. There are certain things in this journey, Christian, that you just don't mess with. Worldly passions, you don't play with the fire. You'll get burned. You, but you see, I want us to understand this, that fleeing is not merely just fleeing. It's not just running aimlessly. 
It's a flee and pursue. The point is there's a focal point. There's a direction. There's a living with purpose. It's a deliberate, intentional aim to go somewhere. And I wonder why this is, this is so important for us to get. Because I wonder if some here are literally running in circles in your Christian faith. This is why works-based, man-centered religion is terrible. It's exhausting. You're just trying to avoid bad stuff and avoid bad stuff. You're running from darkness into other darkness. This is why Christianity is not that. It's not just about being good or better. If that's your Christianity, then you're just fleeing bad stuff. And I'm telling you, you're going to get so exhausted, you'll eventually give in to it. You see, Christianity is so much more beautiful It's a letting go of the junk to pursue and chase after what's so much better. You see, the list that Paul gives right after to pursue righteousness, etc., etc., it's a beautiful list. It's not boring. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 9, 22 to 26. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. There's his purpose. There's his aim. That's what he's chasing after. That's his pursuit. I live my life for the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race, look at the analogy again, all the runners run, but only one runs to receive the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Like run in a way that's like, I'm going to get it. I want it. Paul must have been a jock too because he speaks of um, athleticism. He says in verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things and they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, the Christians, an imperishable one. So he says, here's my reasoning. I don't run aimlessly. Is your Christianity running in circles tonight? Like do you feel like you're just doing good religious stuff? Well, let me encourage you, brother, sister, to refocus yourself on the focal point. Run, flee, and run to Christ. Pursue the person of Jesus. Don't run aimlessly. If you're running aimlessly, I am so sorry and sad for you. Because that's exhausting and lifeless. You see, when he says pursue, dioko, it is a pressing forward. I love this word. It's a chase. Remember in in grade school when you played chase, tag? In third grade, we just, we, we gloried in knowing that we were like the best at it, you know? But there was just such an adrenaline in chasing running after, pursuing after. This is the way that we are to, while we're fleeing, we're actually just pursuing righteousness. What is that? To be right with God. How does that happen? Romans 3, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus. Philippians 3, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law or keeping good works, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Jesus is our righteousness. So when Paul says, flee that, pursue righteousness, you're pursuing faith in Christ. Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and righteousness. What does that mean? It means pursuing, trusting Jesus more today than yesterday. Right? He spits this huge list. Godliness. What is that? Gospel-shaped living that glorifies God. It's pursuing a real reverence towards God. Holiness. That's why we get the point. Pursue 
holiness, faith. What is that? Trust. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. That's what it says in Romans. Love. What is that? 1 John 4, 8. God is love. Steadfastness and gentleness. These attributes of pressing on and keeping on, keeping on, as my pops always says. You see, this whole list of, of righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfast, it's, it's, it's specific ways in which you and I are pursuing holiness. And why do you want holiness? Because Hebrews says, without holiness, no one sees God. Run away from the junk stuff of this life because you're getting God. That's what Paul's trying to get at with Timothy. You, Timothy, man of God. Everyone else gets swept up by this world. But you... That's a huge, huge starting point that Paul goes at. It's a personal conviction. But you, Joseph had to have this personal conviction. Like it says in verse 9, it says, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's why Joseph ran and left the coat in her hand. It's not because he just wanted to be a good boy. Ah, she's coming after me. It's not because she was probably unattractive. Like, oh, I don't want to lie with you. She probably was super attractive. Why did he run? Verse 9. How could I sin against God? I love God. I don't care how hot you are. I don't care if we can get away with this. I don't care if you won't tell nobody. Because I got God. And I will run away from you, woman. Because I'm pursuing God. That's Christianity. Hebrews says this in chapter 12. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Lay aside all the weight and the sin. Throw aside all the junk of this world. And let's run. Let's run with endurance the race that's set before us. And then you know what he says in verse 2? Looking to Jesus. Flee and pursue. Christianity is a dead sprint, or more like a marathon. Sorry, maybe not a dead sprint, but it's more like a marathon, and you have your eye fixed and focused on that finish line. So Wayne Pilgrim's Progress, he writes, you see that light, Christian? Keep your eye on that light. Get back on the straight and narrow, Christian. Celestial cities coming. I'm sure we're all exhausted in this room. It's because this is a race. This is a run. Just, just remember who you're running to. 2 Timothy 2.22, he tells him again, flee youthful passions, pursue. So, you're running from darkness tonight? Make sure you're running to light. Don't just run from darkness into darkness. The false teachers were blind leading blind. They just said, stop doing that stuff. Don't marry. Don't eat this. Don't do that. That's terrible teaching. That's rubbish. I hate that. We must hate that as Christians. In this place, what we must love is when the preachers say, go to God. Go get God. Pursue him and pursue him by faith in Jesus. Pursue all that good stuff. Pursue holiness. I love holiness. I want more of it. 
agios, to be set apart and holy, completely whole, untainted, unblemished. Not because it's, we want to be holy so that we're just like pretty and shiny. It's because with holiness, we experience the nearness of God. So if we don't pursue God or pursue holiness, we will by nature conform to worldliness. That's what it says in Romans 12. Don't be conformed by the world, but be transformed. So Timothy, Paul says, even if the majority is following all that junk doctrine, as for you, go get them. And this is, and then, and then we're going to move on, verse 12. So first point, pursue worldliness, flee worldliness, pursue holiness. And look at the wordage that he uses. And Olivia was waiting for this one. Verse 12, fight. Fight the good fight of the faith. It's a fight, church. You got to get a grasp of that. Christianity is a fight. It's not a faith that calls you to just kind of go, go with the flow. You don't just cruise to the celestial city. The Bible doesn't teach that. We're carried by his grace, right? Lauren brought that up in observation time at the end. It's his grace that causes us to fight and to live countercultural. But we must, while we're here, we need to fight. Look at this word. Fight agonizomai. What does that sound like? Agonizomai. Agony. Right? It's a, to struggle. That's the word. To contend. First Timothy 1.18, he told this in the beginning. Wage the good warfare. Paul begins the book by saying it's going to be a war. He ends the book by saying it's going to be a fight. But notice what he says in both of those verses. It's a good warfare. It's a good fight. Is there such a thing? What is that? A good fight. A good scrap. A good struggle. Doesn't it sound like an oxymoron? But when you think about it, it's often the hard, heavy, exerting things in life that when you get through it at the end, you say, oh, that was so good. Like a good, hard workout. You know, like when you really work out? Not like when you, you, you try to work out, like how I say I worked out because I sweat a little bit. But like when you sweat on purpose and you put yourself through a hard, strenuous work, it was super tough, right? But at the very end, you go, oh, that was so, that was so good. It's often true. Same with the Christian faith, guys. This good fight, this good wrestle, what makes it so good, it's first, it's of the faith. It's a fight of faith to keep trusting God. It's a struggle to keep believing. I wonder if there's anyone in the house that's struggling like that tonight. You're having a hard time just trusting. Trusting that him and all this, this good news of Jesus, this Christmas story is actually real. It is, but you'll need to fight to believe. Right? Remember when Brandon preached? I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Why do you write that? Because it's a fight. It's a fight to believe, but it's also a fight for the faith, to keep the gospel faith pure. But it is a good fight, church. It's a good fight because in the end, it's so worth it. 
It's a fight for life eternal. It's a fight for the glory of God. It's a fight for salvation of souls. I'm so blessed. We're so blessed that the two sisters that went on ahead of us recently, they're in heaven. Their souls are secure. They're alive. So when you're struggling to believe and to keep fighting, remember it's a good fight. And now's the time. We have to fight. There's a time to fight, brothers and sisters, and now is the time. But it's not a fight of flesh and blood. It's not a fight of physical warfare, per se. You see, once you and I profess faith in Jesus, and we chose to actually follow him all the days of our lives, you also, what happened, was enlisted into the army, the Lord's army. And I don't say that to be cute or cliche. That's real. The Bible tells us it's real. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 10. We, for though we walk in the flesh, though we're here physically, we're not waging war against flesh. We need to remember that. The weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. See, the way we fight is a way bigger way. Ephesians 6, listen to this. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities. Listen to this. We fight cosmic powers over the present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Did you know you're out to pick a fight with that every day you wake up? I just want to remind you. Like if you were to close your eyes and God open your spiritual eyes, you'd be surprised of the epic battle that's going on in this room right now of angels and demons and the Holy Spirit for your soul, heaven and earth, what's happening in this room. You see, our physical eyes just think, nothing's going on. But Paul sees the true reality and he says, Timothy, you got a fight, bro. This is a real fight. And so he tells him, you got to put on the whole armor so you can actually withstand the evil day. Therefore, fasten on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, your shoes shotted with the, the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, you got to take up your shield so you can extinguish the darts. Did you know there's darts flying at you this evening? Put on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And here's he's going to say, pray all the time in the spirit. That's how you war, Timothy. Like, the first thing we have to really come to grips with is, is that as Christians, we're actually called to fight. And then you, we need to realize how to fight right. This is a good fight. And right now in the letter, it looks like Paul telling Timothy, defend the gospel. Don't let the false teachers keep teaching junk stuff. Call out the false teachers. Teach the good stuff. That's the spiritual warfare that Timothy, you got to go get in there and fight. And that fight is still true today. Here's some other what, look, what, what good fight looks like. It's this, filtering through movies and musics that our children listen to, that we listen to. Not sheltering our children, but explaining to them what these messages are saying and then what God's word says. That's a fight. This is a good fight. A husband who's on the verge of giving into his anger or his laziness or his lust or his pride. And then he runs into the prayer closet. He gets on his knees and his face and he confesses all those sinful impulses to God. And he says, change me. I'm sorry, Lord. Give me a meek heart 
And he gets up, he walks out of the closet, and he apologizes to his wife and his children. That's a good fight. This is a good fight. A sister who's facing horrible circumstances with her health and her finance, and she's tempted to hate God. And then she reminds herself by the word of God that he's near her. And he loves her. And he's causing all things to work together for her good. And she reminds herself of these promises. And she holds fast. And instead of spiting, she offers up a sacrifice of praise. You see, that's a good fight. That's fighting the good fight of faith. Fighting the good fight of faith is Pastor Timothy that we're praying for in Nigeria. Who has watched so much of his congregation get slaughtered. And he's caring for dozens of orphans. And widows right now. And he's been shot about a few weeks ago. And what he told us was he's praying that vengeance would not consume his heart. He doesn't want to take revenge. He wants to keep praying for the salvation of the people who shot him. You see, that's a good fight. That's beast right there. That's a warrior. That's someone I aspire to be like. You see, when Paul writes this stuff, I love that Olivia pointed it out because it's so big. Fight the good fight of the faith. That's the fight the Bible's talking about. That's legit fighting. And saint, are you fighting that way tonight? It's the fight that says, I'll trust in the Lord with all my heart. And I'll lean not on my own understanding. I don't get my life right now. I don't get why this is happening. But I believe, I believe you get it and you know and you love me and you care and you're with me and you didn't withhold your son. I think in this room this evening, the fight in you needs to be awakened. Don't sleep. Not in the middle of warfare, not now. We'll sleep forever when we get to where Faye and Amy are. We'll rest with them. But now's the night, now's the time. You gotta keep fighting. We gotta keep fighting. Here's the point to pursue holiness. We pursue holiness by fighting the good fight of the faith. So, what are you fighting tonight? What war is raging in your life right now? What's testing your faith? Your marriage, your parenting, your parents. Your home life, your workplace, persecution, relationships, lack thereof of relationships. What is, what is the war going on? Hear the word of the Lord this evening. Please keep fighting. It's a good fight. Keep trusting. Keep stepping. Remember in the garden, this is what fighting sounds like. Jesus, he went to Gethsemane. And he sat and he went over to pray. He took with him Peter and his two sons and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He's fighting. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to the point of death. Would you just remain here with me? He's trying to fight with fellowship and watch with me. He went a little farther. He fell on his face. He prayed. Here's fighting. My father, if it's possible, let the cup pass. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He came to his disciples. They were sleeping. That must have stung. More fighting. You couldn't stay up with me at least an hour. 
Verse 41, watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation. Keep fighting. Spirit's indeed willing. The flesh is weak. We all resonate with the disciples this evening. We're not the best fighters. Verse 42, again, for the second time, he went away and he prayed. That's fighting. He went away again and he prayed, Father, if this cup can pass unless I drink it, your will be done. That's fighting. And again, he came and found them sleeping. And their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away. He prayed for a third time. Same words again. He came to his disciples and he said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now listen to this of our Lord. Rise. Get up. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's go to war. You see, Christ, in your fight for the faith, in my fight for the faith, let us not forget how he fought for us. Jesus fought for you. He loves you. He loves me. All the forces of evil, hell itself, temptation, betrayal, desertion from friends, he was faithful. So in our fight, and perhaps, church, we will have to face a fight like our brother Pastor Timothy is in Nigeria one day. We don't know. I'm sure if there were people lined up around our church right now with guns and machetes in their hands, a verse like this is going to come to life so much more, is it not? And our fighting is not going to be this. Let's go shoot them back. Our fighting is going to be on our knees, praying that they repent and pray, loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute. That's fighting. That's the faith. That's the fight of the faith that we're called to. Do we fight like this? God, help us. He reads on. Fight the fight. Take hold of eternal life. Look at that. Mm. Grab it. Grasp it. It's yours. Possess it. That's what the word. Get a grip of this, Timothy. Grip onto grace. Grip onto the gospel. Grip it. Grab it. It's yours. Use it. Hold on. Eternal life. Just remember what we're getting, what we got. What's eternal life? Oh, my gosh. I don't, so It's big. Eternal. Forever. It's the opposite of what? Temporary. It's opposed to this temporary life that the false teachers were saying is where it's at. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever been just struck by that, child of God? That you and I have life eternal? Take hold of that to which you are called. He's not saying earn it, go get it. No, you are called. And about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This was a public profession of faith in Christ. And he's saying, Paul's telling Timothy, take hold of it, man. Experience that eternal life. That extraordinary, abundant life that you were called to. When you made that good profession of faith, it's the same as baptism. 
It's public. Everyone knows I follow Jesus. When you are called and invited into this gospel to trust him and have eternal life and by God's grace, you, if you've made that public profession, I just want to remind you, the Bible wants to remind you to take hold of it. In other words, live it. Live it. You say you have eternal life, then live it up. I love it how my pop says it. Just keep on keeping on. Just, just keep on living it. Keep on getting it. Keep stepping, Christian. Hebrews 10, it says this, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why would he say that? Because it's going to be tempting to not take hold of it and live it. You want to let it go. He's promised his faithful. Let us consider how to stir each other up to love and good works. Don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. Don't neglect stuff like this. We need the encouragement. Encourage one another all the more as we see what? The day drawing near. His appearing. We got to keep fighting. We got to keep holding fast to our confession of faith in Christ. That's the point. Pursue holiness by holding fast to your confession of faith. In verse 13, he says, I charge you. Now he charges Timothy. I solemnly command you. I'm giving you an order. Now look at this. In the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pilate made the good confession. So in the presence of God, God the one who saves and in Christ Jesus and his testimony before Pilate, in other words, he's saying, Jesus who declared himself Lord, this is historical fact, Timothy. When Jesus was on trial, he testified that he's the savior of the world. He's the king. Now he gives this big epic charge with the highest, highest of authority in God and Jesus. What is he charging in verse 14? Keep the commandment unstained and free. Brian brought this up in observation. Keep the word. Keep it pure. Keep the gospel whole. Obey it. That's what it means to keep. To observe, to obey the word. Obey the, pre the precepts until the appearing of our Lord. If you're going to pursue holiness, you're going to flee the junk, Pursue God, pursue holiness. You do it by this, keeping his commandments. Keeping his word. Now, I love that he adds this on until the appearing of our Lord Jesus. He's really going to appear. Like, really, really going to appear. I love that they just installed new windows in my study. Not just because the, the, the jealousies were leaking out AC. That's a perk, but I can see the sky. I love looking up. I love waking in the morning and seeing the sky, whether it's blue or gray. just want to look up. Why? Because he's really going to come again. Keep obeying his commands until he appears. Be faithful and true to the word, Timothy. Don't preach other doctrines. Don't twist it like the false teachers. Keep his commandment. Obey his word. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. You see, keeping the commandments of God isn't merely just hearing it or memorizing. It's really obeying it. It's walking it. It's living it. It's meditating on it day and night. Be doers of the word. Pursue holiness. 
by keeping his commandments. Verse 15, which he will display at the proper time. Okay, here we go. We're going to get into the part where Tani Tani and Christy were going off on. And I'm just going to read it. Until, now imagine, just, just feel the flow and the momentum of this. He's like, okay, run away from all the junk. Pursue God and all that good holiness stuff, righteousness, faith, all those things. Go get them. And you fight, you keep fighting, you keep obeying, you keep stepping. And then he goes this. He's going to appear. He'll display at the proper time. And then Paul goes off. He, this is the one you're waiting for, who's blessed. And the only sovereign, blessed, first blessed. You know what blessed means in the Greek? Happy. In other words, you pursue happiness. But the ultimate happiness, in the Greek, it actually says happy, happier. I love that. I was like, that's it? Happy, happier? That's this word, makairos? Yes. Pursue he who is happier. He who is the happiest. He is the epitome of happy. You want to pursue happiness tonight? Pursue Jesus. He is he who is blessed. And he's the only sovereign. He's the only sovereign. Okay, sovereign? The only sovereign. I love your name, though. The only sovereign, the only one, the only ruler, the only authority, the only Lord. He's the king of kings. He's the king over all kings. He's the Lord of lords, the Lord over all lords. There's this triple emphasis of this big boss rule and reign. He alone is God. He's immortal. He keeps going. He alone has immortality. He dwells in an unapproachable life. He lives in a city of light that mere mortals can't walk into. You and I can't even peek at where he lives because we'll die. That's so epic. He goes on. No one's ever seen or can see. His sheer holiness is that no one could truly ever see him in his fullness. Not in this life. And then he goes, to him, the one you're pursuing, to him be honor and eternal dominion. And he says at the end, amen. Notice this, the way Paul pours out in praise and adoration and meditation and reflection. I think it's actually teaching us something about what pursuit of holiness looks like. Here's the point. Pursue holiness by worshipfully waiting. Worshipfully waiting. When's the last time you just poured out praise to him for who he is and really just gave it? I think too often we just fight and wait and fight and wait. But Paul sets this beautiful example here. He waits and he worships. I love Paul's writings. It gives us such great windows into what Christianity really is supposed to feel like. Reading such passages of Scripture, it ought to make us break out into just rejoicing. So when Trevor was just beautifully plucking and just singing those songs so clearly, the content of the the song was so moving, I just had to like, amen, yes, It's a fight. And yes, it's a wait. But while we're fighting and waiting, goodness gracious, Christian, worship him. Because as we're waiting and as we're growing in our faith, you and I, if you're really a theologian, 
all of us should be. We're all theologians. But if you're a true theologian and you're growing in your understanding of who he is and who you are and how this does not make sense apart from Christ, I'm telling you, language like this is normative for the believer. Saints who pursue holiness and living pure and they get closer to God, how can they be stoic and joyless and emotionless? How can they lack zeal and fervor and love and affection and delight in God? I don't get that. I don't get how you can be some huge scholar and look and live like you don't even like Jesus. That's not Christianity that I read of in the Bible. That's not what Paul sounds like. And I stress the normative because there's going to be moments when you and I will feel dead and dry and unmoved because it's a fight of faith. But see, if when you learn and when we learn to fight right, We know how to pursue God in such a way that as we mature, we fight so right, we cling so much to his word that we know how to escape the pit of despair, the slough of despond. We can break through and get out of Doubting Castle because we're holding on to the promises of God, which is the key. And nothing and no one will hinder our worship. He's worthy of worship tonight, amen? And he's worthy of it all. All of our hearts and our mind and our soul and our strength. I love seeing our children in this place moved by God. I love seeing our older saints in this place filled with zeal serving the Lord smiling. I love seeing our committee chairs joyfully working through all the paperwork and hard work of doing church life and business. Why? Because he's worthy of worship. And Paul finishes the letter. It might sound random, but remember the context. It's not. As for the rich in the present age. That's not random. Why? Because the, the teaching right before that, all the false teachers were teaching what? That r- religion is a way to get what? Rich. So he's not indicting being rich. But look, at he says, as for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty. So don't teach what the false teachers taught. Tell them stop being haughty. I love that. Arrogant attitude. High-minded, your nose in the air. They walk around like they're, the, they're what's up. Like, yeah, I'm what's up. That's the attitude. He says, don't, tell them, don't be haughty. And look, at he's going to hammer in the nail. Nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of the riches. Don't trust in what's uncertain. You may be making six figures today. You could be living in a box tomorrow. Look at what happened in Maui. Don't let your hopes be set on stuff, little lame stuff. But look, fully pursue. But on who? God. Who richly provides us with everything. Note this though. To enjoy. 
This is not Paul teaching asceticism where you can't enjoy the, the wealthy things God's given us. No, enjoy that car and AC and glorify him. Enjoy the home you own. Enjoy the food on your table that is more than just bread and water. That is a grace and a gift from God. Say thank you to the Lord. Give thanks. Enjoy it. He gave it to you for your enjoyment. But notice, your hope's not set on that. It's on God. And he says, the rich are to do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous, ready to share. Thus, Storing up treasures for themselves in a good foundation for the future. You're investing in true, eternal accounts that will never fade away. And then I look this, so that they may take hold of that which is, notice how I love Paul's words, truly life. See, what the false teachers were teaching, that this life is where it's at, people might walk around all haughty thinking they're living it up, that they got what's up. And that they're really living? Paul's like, that's not really living. (laughs) Here's the point. Set your hope in God. Store true riches and experience what's truly life. I love that he hammers this nail in. Don't place your hope on what's temporary, breakable, shakable, uncertain, and unchanging. unchanging. Rather in God who's true treasure, eternal and unbreakable. That's true living. Christ is life. Colossians 3.1, when Christ who is your life appears. Paul says, is your life. Christ is life. If you got Christ, you have it all. Question is if you believe it. And if you don't, you're in the fight right now. And then he says in verse 20, oh, Timothy. I love the O's. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what's falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. In closing, Timothy, guard the gospel and get away from the garbage. Get away from the garbage teaching. Church, I hope you hear the thrust of this whole letter. Christ is all. And when a church sees That the gospel and Jesus and true holiness is where it's at. It will be salt and light in the earth. We will live lives that are worthy of the gospel. We will shine and we will genuinely enjoy God. It will be hard. And it will be a fight. And it's going to be a war. But it's good. And it's worth it. And he finishes the letter by saying, grace be with you. Grace be with you. How does it go at the end? Where's that song? Through many dangers, toils, snares, I have already come. You know what song that is, right? Tis grace has brought me safe thus far. And grace shall lead me home. All of this, all the fight, all the worship, 
all the pursuit of holiness and the fleeing of worldliness, it is only possible by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. It's been a pleasure to study this book together. My big prayer is that we as a church family, because we've worked through a book like 1 Timothy, will live it out incredibly effectively. That God will be glorified. We will enjoy him. And the gospel will go out farther and farther, more than we can ask or imagine. And it's so fun that until then, until his appearing, we get to do this together. Amen. Love you guys. Let's pray and sing our way out. Father, we thank you that your word, it is so rich in treasure. And only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we really see these things. I pray for the brother or sister tonight who is needing to fight the good fight of the faith. That perhaps their eyes are back and forth from you to the things of this world, from you to false doctrine, from you to earthly pleasures and treasures. And I ask that by your grace, you would fix their eyes upon Jesus. And that in focusing and pursuing you, the things of this world will dim out. Lord Jesus, as we sing, and even as we hear one another's voices, remind us that we don't run this race alone. That we're running together as a family. I thank you so much for this family, God. And it is a great pleasure and joy to flee the things of this life and pursue righteousness, holiness, and godliness, Jesus, along with my brothers and sisters here who are calling out for you from a pure heart. Let us run, and let us run with perseverance to the end until you're appearing. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Oh, come, let us adore Him.
Lord, you are more precious than diamonds, more costly than gold, more beautiful than silver, and nothing we could ever desire compares to you. You are the best present we could have ever have received, Lord, and we're so unworthy, yet still you love us. May we see this as the greatest gift we could have ever received. And a gift that is fully worthy of all our effort to run faster to your grace. Scrap harder for more of you. To worship while waiting on your will. To keep your commandments and honor your name. For you alone are worthy. And in your name, amen. God's grace be with you. Merry Christmas.